You're listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 358, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you. We're bobbing along in our barrels. Some of us tip right over the edge. But there's one thing really mystifying. Got me laughing now, it's got me crying. All my life will be destifying till iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast, episode 358. I am Josh Flanagan, and I was told I was sedate last week, so woo, I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. I kind of enjoyed the sedate show last week. It was very mellow. And Ron Richards. Yeah, I, I kind of vote for sedate as well. So I need, I'm going to get a nickname now. I'm going to go all morning radio. <laughs> and we're back. Here with the stroke. What's up, stroke? Oh! <laughs> so this whole box of buzzers and shit I have I don't need? No. 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 <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, com is our website. It's about comic books that we started because at one time we liked them. Uh, we read them. Uh, we do like comics. It's, we're making fun of people who say we don't like comics. That's what I'm doing right now. I love uh, comics. I know. I do too. We all do. That's the thing. Like I would do this shit if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we read them. Every week we read a bunch of them. I uh, pick the one that we like best from this. See, people sometimes don't get nuance. It's a joke, people. Yeah. Come on. Get on uh, with it. Listen, if I can't do my thing my way, I'm not going to do it. All right. <laughs> Read a bunch of them. The best one gets called the pick of the week. They write about that on the website. That goes up at some point on Wednesday. And then we come here to talk about the pick of the week on this show and the other books from the week and, and some other stuff. Some, we get, uh, some other stuff gets in there. Before we get started, we're going to be talking about what happens in the books to various levels of specificity. So if you have not read them, you're on your own, brother or sister, whichever. So you've got your warning. There may be spoilers. Deal with it. Ron. Yes. You had to pick. Yeah, so so nobody told me that Marvel was going to get all weepy towards the end of Marvel then before we were on the brink of Marvel now. <laughs> you see, like with DC, when they launched the new 52, we had Flashpoint, and everything was kind of, it was just this thing that happened, and all the books just kind of abruptly changed. Right. Never told anyone. And then, yeah, and then now with Marvel. Right, said no idea. That was it. Well, <laughs> exactly. And so with Marvel, what we're getting now is we're getting the end of an era as a lot of their books are winding down prior to their Marvel Now launch. And this week, I was inundated with weepy letters pages saying goodbye and all that stuff. So I got a little emotional. It's, got- but it's, it's weird because they do that, and yet then you've got a new number one next week. <laughs> exactly. And the thing, the thing is, is that it's not so much about the book ending. Rather, for this, it's a lot of like creator runs ending. And like, you know, the ones I'm talking about, like, like you know, Kieran Gillen wrote a long thing at, Journey into, at the end of Journey into Mystery. And, and we're going to talk about FF uh, number 23 that Hickman wrote a long thing again after writing a long thing in Fantastic Four. Like, wasn't it the same long thing? <laughs> I <laughs> no, think it was. It might have been. But, it's it's um, the end of summer camp yeah. over and over and over yeah, again. pretty much. And so then also um, Ed Brubaker had a long piece at the end of Captain America number 19. And as so admittedly, I'm prone to the emotion. I'm prone to get a little weepy. Josh and Connor can attest to this. Uh, I get a little sappy. And I'll, I might have gotten caught up in a little bit of the emotion, a little bit of the sentimental t- sentimentality, as well as a touch of the Wait. Pa- patriotism. Wait, are you saying now that you felt it then, but maybe – Maybe it was unjust, unjustified now no, in, in the no, light of day. I still think it's justified. I, I know. I'm not going to back down from the sentiment. That would be great, by the way. You go, listen, when I wrote this, I thought it was really – I went back since then. <laughs> and and I, uh, I was wrong. I was, I was totally wrong. I'm sorry if you bought pick, this. Pick so. of the week totally should have been multiple warheads. I'm sorry. God, I wish you'd done that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought oh. about it. Don't get me wrong, I thought about it. But we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But really, kind of what, uh, of all the weepies and the goodbyes and all that sort of stuff, what kind of struck me as I finished reading this issue of Captain America number 19, which is written by Ed Brubaker with art by Steve Epting, was, and as I wrote about in the review on iFanboy.com, is that, like, I never cared about Captain America ever, ever until Ed Brubaker's run on this on this title. And then it kind of struck me that this is the last issue after an eight-year run, which in this marketplace, in this world, is kind of crazy. In a good and in a bad way, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you read Avengers as a kid? Um, no, no, I didn't really read Avengers that much as a kid. I hated the Avengers. I hated the Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, no, I would only get the uh, the new team lineup issues, and that was it. <laughs> and you know what? You know what really stuck a bad taste in my mouth? What turned me off to the Avengers? No. Uh, Operation Galactic Storm. I would not have said that because even at twelve or thirteen or fourteen, I was just like, "This is bullshit." Yeah. <laughs> that on, wasn't Gal- exactly an Avengers problem; it's a Marvel problem. No, that way it was in the Avengers book. It I know, the- but it wasn't like the Avengers named the, the event. The uh, oh no, I think he's, Captain America is going to hold the Avengers responsible though as long as possible. Captain America came; he he used the, he named that event. Actually, <laughs> so, do you realize this can mean only one thing? <laughs> hold on i got got this it's uh no go ahead (laughs) but anyway and reading captain america number 19 really felt like those you know the the, and and when i got into captain america it was because you guys were reading it and you're like hey this is really good and i got my hands on the first two hardcovers and i was like crap this is really good and i found myself Caring about Captain America, caring about what he stands for, caring about the ideals. Really, it was just to get my Baron Zemo and Batroc the Leaper fix. But I found I finally voted because of a comic book. <laughs> exactly, and so I just thought I just thought that it was uh, somewhat fitting that Brubaker and Epting kind of returned. You know, Epting returned to the title after being away for a while, and Brubaker kind of didn't write a. It wasn't a a sort of massive, you know, kind of story end or anything like that. It was more of a reflective looking back on what it means to be Captain America and at the same time with some meta context about what it means to write Captain America. And I just thought it just reminded me of what it was like back in the day when I got into Captain America. And I thought, you know, these guys deserve a a hat tip. This was a wholly appropriate pick of the week. When I first saw it, I was surprised at first. I think because we all dropped the book, right? I didn't. You never dropped it? I never did. Crazy. But Josh and I did because we were the ones who brought you on. And I actually wasn't. All right, gonna, he's on. Let's get out of here. I wasn't even going to buy this. But then I thought about it. I saw Epting was strong. And I was like, oh, I should probably just read it. And it was like the old days, right? It was like the old days. It was, like you said, it was a wrapping up of, I guess, whatever he's been doing. I don't know that part. But it was very much a wrapping up of the series from Brubaker's point of view. It could have very easily been Brubaker talking to Captain America in that hospital room instead of Captain America talking to Captain America. I felt like that's what it was. Yeah. yeah, and it was very much a metatextual kind of wrapping up of his experience. Eight, eight years of it was. It, I liked it quite a bit. It was really good. You don't need to know anything beyond. I mean, I didn't know why this guy was in in the hospital bed. I didn't really didn't really matter. Just a matter that they were wrapping this up. Yeah. And while I think Steve Epting gets a ton of credit as we've given to him before, as we talked about this book, because he's really you know kind of emerged as someone whose name I knew but never really appreciated. And even like when we when we found those back issues of his stuff in the '90s, it was like oh, like well, he's he com- wasn't good in the '90s. I remember distinctly. Yeah, but um, but I think a big a big credit needs to go to Frank Demar the 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 I can't even pronounce it Demarda, <laughs> whose color work on the title really defined it and tied in. At, once they started doing the artist merry-go-round, once Epting moved on, the tone of the book really stayed constant throughout Brubaker's run. I think a lot of that has to do with the colors. So yeah, I mean it was just great, and it was a it was a fitting end, you know. And I'll give him I'll give him a pass on the meta stuff because normally I kind of cringe at that. The the Kirby Simon stuff is cute, but the the last I loved that. 
Yeah. <laughs> did you like it? You don't. You, you... I did. No, I, li- I like that part because it's one of those things that I don't think that that's a story that people know as well. People know Stan and Jack on Fantastic Four. They know Ditko and Stan on Spider Man. But I, I think like it gets lost uh, the way that Captain America was done, and like people don't talk about Joe Simon in the way that they do those other people, which is uh, uh, wrong. Which is fair. And also in the, in the Marvel Universe, these comics existed, so the yeah. whole thing was that. It really was a meditation on Captain America. This is what it means to be me, why it's difficult, why it's not for everybody, and right. why I'm important. No, but not so grandiose, but, you know, just... <laughs> this is why I'm important. Sit down. <laughs> it, 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 but important beyond him, which is part of the meta text of the whole thing, in that someone else will always be Captain America, or someone else will always write Captain America is the underlying right. t- text of it. So I thought it was great. Yeah, that last yeah that last page, which is what really drove home the the meta text of Brubaker saying someone else will always write Captain America, and you know that that kind of it got me, but it was good, it was great. So eight years, Brubaker's done on Captain America. Remender's gonna have big shoes to fill, but I think you know I think there's really yeah it, I'm always curious about those kind of moments where like what the next will bring, and he's really got to go in an opposite direction. So it oh totally. Be- to see what he does. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't hose. Uh, he didn't hose Remender the way that that uh, that Bendis hosed him on Daredevil. So up on a title. This is an end of a series, starting a new one. So it's hard. Yeah, no, I, I know. But staying in the staying in the topic of uh, goodbyes and endings, it, it was a matter of inches between Captain America nineteen and FF number twenty three, which equally was send offy and metatextual in its own right. Yeah, I thought that Cap probably did it better. I thought Dragota was really strong in this. He's been a bit hit and miss on this series, but when he, when he hits, he hits really strong. And I thought his stuff was good. His cartooning was strong. The characters all looked great. It suffered a bit from having just done this on Fantastic Four. Right. I think. And I, and I, and I bet you Hickman would agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was joking on Twitter that he, he now holds the record for the most wrapping up Fantastic Four issues. <laughs> Or runs or whatever, but no. But I thought this is this this was great in terms of wrapping up what FF truly was about, and like the role of Franklin, you know, you know young Franklin and old Franklin Richards, and the inspirational message of of imagination and potential. Right. You know, that's really what Fantastic Four is about. You know, whereas Captain America is about ideal and patriotism and standing up for something and all that sort of stuff. Fantastic Four is about not limiting yourself and going into that you know unknown universe and trying different things and solving problems and stuff like that. And I thought this really captured that really well. Yeah, and the idea that even though Valeria is the smartest person in the world, Franklin's more important because he's got an imagination that she doesn't have. It was all really good. This yeah. was this was all again a very good issue, and this was a great series. Yeah, overall, I think this Fantastic Four run. And FF Together, which is really the same book, will go down as one of the great runs of Fantastic Four. And and it's funny because I mean, I, and I, it, you know, because it's fu- it's the difference. I think the difference between what the Hickman intended and what ended up happening versus you know, and once uh, Marvel sales and marketing gets involved, I think we're two different things. In what, in what way? I think if if and it'll be interesting to see how candidly he speaks of it coming out of it or whatever. But you know, I just get the get the sense just from comments on Twitter and stuff like that is just that he you know the approach to this by breaking off into two titles and keeping FF going after, after Fantastic Four. Because ideally, all they did was, it was Fantastic Four double shipping, right. but on the eyes of a different series. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see how they collect it, and then to hear the story of what the intended approach was, you know? But yeah, no, but I mean, he, this was a great, I mean, a shorter run than Brubaker on Captain America, but Hickman's Fantastic Four run, which now finally is over. Well, the interesting thing about that is that people have been flailing away at Fantastic Four for a really long time without really making it a hit. And, you know, you had Wade and Ringo, probably the closest ones to that, but that was cut short. Yep. And Miller and, uh, was it Hitch, came on, like, oh, we're going to do that. And they didn't. They didn't do it. Yeah, but he, so, 
Rough. Yeah, Hickman brought something to it that nobody else had. And I, I think that it was really surprising and interesting in that way. Speaking of Dakota, by the way, there was that one panel in the bar of the thing reacting. Yeah. Which just I was like, oh, that's the thing. Yeah, no, this was this was really good Dragota stuff. This was it's too bad he he didn't do the whole series. He was great for this book. Well, goodbye. Farewell, FF. For now. I got finished with Invincible 96 this week, and this has hit me before, but it hit me. I was like, I really like this book. Yeah. A lot. And I and I, I don't know why I feel like occasionally I need to remind myself of that. I think I don't get excited for it anymore because it's regular as the mail. But I got done with it, and it's just so like it's a it is so regular that I think I fail to appreciate it. But it's so regularly, it's just it's slightly off from a regular superhero comic book. It does enough things a little bit differently than the than the superhero comic books that I've gotten tired of that I stay interested in it. And it was just like little moments throughout this, and I was reading it, and there's all this stuff going on. They're telling this huge backstory between you know robot and monster girl, and I, and I realized like halfway through, it, I'm like, boy, the Invincible's got nothing to do with this, and I'm fine with that. And then there's the, the sort of weird story where Invincible himself lost his powers and he's like, well, let's have sex. And then, then sex is bad because he doesn't have powers anymore. And I was like, okay, I've never, I've never seen that. It's slightly askew, but it's still kind of like the way it looks and the way it feels is still kind of light and airy. But at the same time, like the world could blow up in any second. And I, I like that the world continually gets trashed in this book. Like, oh, you leveled London. They've leveled Vegas before. They've leveled other cities. And they just sort of go on with it in this world. And, and I, I just – I keep having fun with it. And, I, and what's fun about it is that it keeps renewing that interest in me. And because and, we talk so much – like it's getting to the point where we talk about Robert Kirkman. We don't even think about Invincible anymore. We don't think about the uh, super dinosaur anymore certainly. But you know, Invincible is always there. It's always this thing. And I was thinking back to how when we first started this show, that was our jam. Yep. That was our thing that was like, listen, you know, if you like superhero books, you need to check this other book out because people didn't really know about it back then. And it's never really fallen off since then. It's been as fun. Now, Connor, you're still reading in trades, I assume. Yeah, and I think I think last time you mentioned it too, in the same way that you you forget that it's it's good every month, and or you get <laughs> used to it. And I think that's again where the trade benefit comes in. Is that for me, it's a special occasion when the, when it comes out, and I don't forget that yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I, I actually kind of like it because I'm like, all right, I'll read that book, and then I get halfway through, it, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. It gets over. I can't wait for another one, and so I get to run that sort of emotional gamut every uh, every time. What I loved about this episode was that it was just it was that patented. Kirkman's in, you know, get in, get out series of moments. I found myself laughing. Yeah. You know, every couple, every couple of p- pages had a, some sort of chuckle. That wasn't a gag, but it was just a well-executed mm-hmm. joke. And even down to like at the end of that sex scene when Mar- Mark was trying to decide what to do, you know, he's like, I need to do something tomorrow. It's like, I should check on Dinosaurus. I haven't seen what he's been working on. And then you just get one <laughs> page of Dinosaurus working on something and then turn the page and it transitions back to the Pentagon. Like it was just like, it just perfect timing. Uh, yeah. In terms of dealing with such a large cast that he's got going on this book. It just it feels like it's not overwrought at all, and I really like that about it. Yeah, he's in his zone. He's definitely in his own. Mm-hmm. I think he also plays with the form a lot more in Invincible than he can in Walking Dead. Yeah. Yes, that's he, true. He'll tell a lot more gags, one-page gags, one-panel gags, whereas he has to sort of do a straightforward storytelling in Walking Dead. So he gets to, I think he gets to flex his comic book muscles much more here. It actually feels more like Robert Kirkman than The Walking Dead does, if that makes sense. His yeah. personality, yeah, for sure. Yeah, his personality is, is more in this book, I think, and the kind of comics that he likes and the stuff that he really enjoys, whereas he's got Walking Dead down. Don't, don't get me wrong, he, and he'll do that you know, as, as long as there is life left to give or not, depending on the case. But like this one feels like this is his true comic book uh, output, or at least a very different side of it. And, and Otley, as is, is always, is, is excellent and continues to get better and is, is the perfect guy, and I couldn't see him on anything else, and I couldn't see anybody else on this. Ron, let me ask you a question about the next book. Yes, what about it? If the Wasp comes back, 
<laughs> and no one talks about the wasp coming back. That's exactly. Does she actually come back? That was exactly what I was going to say. So yesterday, uh, well, when, on Wednesday when comics came out, about halfway through the day, someone I am me, a friend of mine I am me, said, did you read Avengers yet? And I was like, yeah. And they said, the wasp was back. And I waited about a minute. I go, oh, I'm sorry. That's the sound of no one caring. <laughs> like, it just, it, it, like, okay, yeah. I mean, of course, Bendis is bringing back the wasp before, before he ends out. You know, you got to put all the, all the pieces back on the shelf. Right. That's what it is. You have to return the status quo to where She it was. was in the closet. Yeah, no, she wasn't. She was in the microverse. I, t- I talked to Brian this week, and, he t- and all he said was, let it go. Did he? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not okay. Oh, you know, by saying let it go just means we were, we're not going to let it go. Oh, yeah, no, never, never. It would be easier <laughs> At to least, What was it supposed to be? It was supposed to be something. You didn't just do that and go, oh, figure it out later, and then go, eh. He also told me to go talk to Hickman because it's his problem now. <laughs> he doesn't have to deal Listen, with it, though. They're going to reboot. He can just email us what it was. He yeah, doesn't have to address it in a story. won't tell anyone. We just it's need like, to know. What if it's just like, like, a, like a really bad outfit? <laughs> you know, is- and he was like, ugh. <laughs> like that would at least like you know that would make sense. No, this was <laughs> this was what it was. I mean, I enjoy the, the I enjoy it in principle, but like I, the art was kind of rough, and the wasp coming back had really no impact. I don't know. It was okay. What'd you think? Oh, it was just okay. I, I'm not yeah. I'm not a fan of the art. The wasp. I literally I just literally didn't care. I just literally like the well, wasp. No one did. I mean, it didn't have any impact whatsoever anywhere. Yeah, none. Yeah, none. Not even with the wasp. Fan. I bet Josh didn't even know the wasp came back. I bet you knew no wasp was dead. Just now. I did know wasp was dead, but you would have had to be like, like if you were like, hey, is the wasp dead? I would have been like, yes. <laughs> Maybe. Because I kind of remember that. Did that happen in Secret Invasion? Secret Invasion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, see, I remember in that. When all, the, when all the characters stood there in that one panel in Central Park. Yes, that's exactly where they were. Yep. Yeah. There was, that, there, was, there was no reason for them to all, why are we all standing so closely together and doing nothing? Yeah. So uh. Sell this page. Ooh. <laughs> For anyway. a lot of money. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, she's back. I mean, it's good that she's back. She's a good character, but it just was with no fanfare whatsoever. Right. Ugh. So, uh, Ghost number one came out this week from Dark Horse with uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick writing with Phil Noto on art. And I, I, Phil Noto, he's key. He, it's like a renaissance of Phil Noto for some reason. He's just, uh, between he's what he's doing. doing pages. I know, between what he's doing on X-Force and now what he did on this. Admittedly, this had a lot of talking heads. There wasn't a lot of action, but it was, you know, I was kind of curious to see how they were going to kick off this first issue, whether you needed to have read the Dark Horse Presents story or not. I don't really think you did, um, although there's a lot of, you know, kind of questions, you know, left me with kind of question marks, but I recognize it's the first issue and let them tell their story. But, man, the Phil Note art is just amazing. He's a guy, like, like living up to the potential that we've all sort of seen and known oh, for yeah. a while. Oh, and yeah. now, now we're getting it full on. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, I just think getting it on a consistent basis is just great. I mean, it's just great. We'll see, you know, and, and we'll see how long it stays on schedule or whatever. But hopefully this, you know, hopefully he's well, far enough ahead because this is totally worth it. Now, Josh, I assume you read Punisher Warzone number one, which might as well have been Punisher number whatever the last one was, the next number. Uh-huh. It was exactly the next issue, but it felt com- almost completely different than the, the series before. It did. Yeah. It did. I actually, a couple of times in the middle of it, I was like, is this Greg Rucka? Yeah. I, I, I literally thought that. And I... I, that's not to say it was bad. Different artist, obviously, yes. and I don't know how I feel about the art. Half of me kind of likes it, and then half of me doesn't like it. Uh, I know that that's not a real answer, but I really couldn't make my mind up about it as I went through it. I was like, is this bad or really good? And I couldn't tell. I guess that really is an answer in itself. But like, it was weird. I don't know. I, I don't feel. I feel like I've never seen Greg Rucka do like like Spider Man like that. Or that yeah. was was exactly the same thing I had. I was reading the Spider Man di- dialogue, uh, and I was like, this. Not that it doesn't seem right. It just didn't seem no. Rucka. 
Yeah, it just it was it was odd. It was a really odd issue for me. But I like I like the overall beats of it. I like the I like the the idea. Like like Spider Man going, guys, come on. We got and and nobody caring. And they drew like full on ridiculous Robert Downey Jr. T- Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, uh, right, right, straight up. Like, yeah, like no. There was no like, well, well, we'll we'll have essences of it. No, no, no. It's just that and in a horrible suit. Yeah. I like the bit where Wolverine went to warn him, you know, and like he's the rogue guy. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I get it. It's, it's Punisher versus the Avengers. That's an instant selling point. Odd though, right? It's just, me. It's, it's just a tone. No, it was totally odd. It was a tonal shift from the last however many issues. And those were the, uh, where the meat was. That was the good stuff. And then, you know, and unsurprisingly, this he's not going to do it anymore. Right. They were probably like, do him versus the Avengers. And he's like, ah. All right. <laughs> like I'll make it as silly as you want. <laughs> well, I gotta imagine that I gotta imagine that he's finishing his story, though. I mean, that's what that's what I hope is ha- is occurring. Well, I, I think the story ended on the last issue. I, mean, I the, do too. Yeah. The, right. the, the story that was started in issue one ended in the last issue. All right. I think this the, is, the end of the story is he went on his rampage, and then, and then at the end of it, all he gets is that everybody thinks he killed a bunch of cops. Yeah. yeah. And he walks on down the road like the Hulk. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Yep. So now it's just to throw in the the Avengers of the last five issues. So I am going to read this though. Yeah. You know, like like I'm I'm in. I am too uh, because you, I like his take on Punisher a lot, but the art also is a little wonky. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe that'll get better too. Batman Incorporated number four. We saw some of these pages at Morrison Con, and now in their black and white form, right? Was it black and white in that? Press- no, there were some. There were some colored pages into it too, and I totally did like. A, I've seen this already. <laughs> reaction, but then, but then I was like, oh right, that's where I saw it when Burnham was showing the, the art at, at Morrison Con. <laughs> Burnham continues to impress. Yeah, I think this year is the story of Chris Burnham making making that leap to the next level of artist, where he's very impressive. His storytelling is great. Admittedly, we are a bit biased because we heard him break these pages down, so we have more insight into what their in the process was, you know. But just looking at all the little details and touches he puts into these pages, the the way he portrays the motion in the weapons when they're firing in the beginning with the bolo and the arrow, just really impressive visually from uh, yeah. from that standpoint. Funny that Merlin, the bad guy, is also on the Arrow TV show, and that the big reveal that Jason Todd was was Wingman, which is funny. Uh, the name is funny. It was weird because I think it just doesn't really seem to fit. But I guess we'll figure it out. And I hope that they're. This seems like they're angling towards getting rid of Damien, which uh, I'd be okay with at this point because I think his usefulness might have run its course, and there's just too many Robins. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the Jason Todd thing. I, I will admit that I was when when they finally the reveal and that panel of him taking the mask off with the fake chin. Yeah. That freaked me out. It was like, freaky because it's all it's like melty. Yeah, it was all like old and like what I was, and I kept on looking back to see if the, the the chin looked older in the earlier things or if that was just like the rubber, like very good good detail and horrifying. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I mean it definitely looks like they're going in that direction with Damien. At least it's some part of the the angle of the story. I don't, I mean it's still early in this run. I mean he's going to what issue twelve? Oh, it's way yeah. early, and we're probably not doing that. But that's that's where the beat we're at now. You know, he just doesn't he doesn't have the impact he once had, and I just, there's just so many sidekicks. It'd be so good to get rid of him and then bring him back like in a couple of years as a villain or something. Exactly, like under under Talia's wing or or related to the No, on his own. Yeah, well no, but that's how I think of assassins or whatever. But I do will admit that last page after the Jason Todd reveal where he basically threw the childlike tantrum and that moment of, you know, what does everyone know that I don't? Like that was that like that was really well done, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is fun. I mean, this this continues to be Morrison's little bubble, which is which is nice. It doesn't it doesn't work with anything else going on in the, in the books, even though they tried to throw in references. But it's fine. It's just his own little continuity. 
Right. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. Let him totally Because I'm not reading anything else other than Snyder's Batman, which I feel is its own. Well, as you say, is its own continuity, but it's totally not. Because speaking, deep- speaking of Talon number one, which came out <laughs> was from uh, plotted by Scott Snyder and James Tinian number four, and written by James Tinian number four, and <laughs> number four. This was fun. I didn't love it, but it was fun. Gil March went with a much rougher style, which really suited him and the story very well. He's still one of the most dynamic artists in comics. The story's basically this rogue Talon working with this old man who whose father was destroyed by the Court of Owls to, to take them down now, now that they're the, their weakest point. So it's fun. If you enjoy the Court of Owls storyline, then you probably enjoy this as well. It's a little overwritten in terms of dialogue and, and captions, but James Just Tinian, visually, there's a lot of words on the yeah, pages. James Tinian is a new writer, so that will, you know, that's what that will come in. You know, hopefully that will be that will work out itself out in time. But I did quite enjoy this. So as I was reading Amazing Spider-Man number six ninety six, uh, which is written by Slot and Christos Gage, Dan Slot and Christos Gage, I had a couple of thoughts coming out of it. It's just that because uh, I know around New York Comic Con they got a lot of gruff about the Superior Spider-Man or whatever. But like, I'll give Dan Slot credit. Over the past year or two, he's written some really good Spider-Man stories. And in the middle of this story, I was like, you know, this is a Spider-Man story. Well, it should be. It's on the title. Well, no, no, but I mean, but it totally it 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 it's, it hits the nerve of everything I want out of a Spider-Man story because, like, basically in, in this issue, Kingpin and Hobgoblin have captured Peter because the Hobgoblins figured out that Peter is the one that's providing Spider-Man with all his tech at Horizon Labs, which is just a a modern take on the classic secret identity trope. And how does Peter know Spider-Man? Previously, it was the photographer and all that sort of thing. It just he's been able to usher, he's been able to modernize Peter Parker where other people have failed in the past ten or so years, I think, which I which is great. Uh, the key is not too many jobs. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and you got the classic hobgoblin coming back and the two hobgoblins fighting and there's a lot of distractions. And and it just it just as I'm reading this, I'm having fun and it just feels like this is what Spider-Man should be like. Now, of course, it's going to all change. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're doing it for that's a reason. the story. I mean, that's, exactly. it's exactly. the willful amnesia in, in most comic fans that and I had it, too, when I was a kid, when, when Bruce Wayne went away. I thought yeah. he would never come back. Right. The story and, is how has he come back? The story is how is Peter whatever happens to Peter, and I don't know, I don't read the book, but whatever is going to happen, yep. the story will be how to undo it. Yep. And then you'll be back to normal. That's what the story is. Exactly. And, 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 but in, and the, the question is that while it happens, is it fun? Is it, does it, you know, does it, does it hit the right feeling that you get from the character and for the story should be and like reading this issue? Like this was almost pick of the week because I was like, you know, this is great. My one downfall is that I'm not a fan of Comic- uh, Giuseppe Comicoli on the title. Um, that seems like now, now Comicoli has been on Hellblazer forever. He's been on this forever too. He's been on this for the majority of the year. That's very strange. And also those are very, those are very different books. Is it really Giuseppe Camicoli? It's not the other guy? No, it's, Gi- it's Giuseppe Camicoli. Hmm. Yeah. I like him on the book because you get to say it. Giuseppe Camicoli. Right, exactly. He has done a lot of these issues. I'm, tr- I'm trying to pull it up right now to figure Maybe out. he's not even on Hellblazer anymore. Maybe he's been gone for a really long time. I don't remember. Do you read it anymore? Or? I know I do. It's just that they were having Simon Beasley come in and do like fill-ins every few issues. Like He would do like a, like a single issue uh, between longer arcs. So you've dropped, you've dropped it? No, I just don't remember. Because it's been so consistent that I just, I'm not even paying attention to that part. Yeah, he's done, um, so you dropped it. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> so I'm going to look. New, headline news. Josh has dropped Hellblazer. So J- January 2012, Kamikoli did is credited with Hellblazer and Spider-Man. February, Hellblazer and Spider-Man. Yeah. March, just Hellblazer. April, Hellblazer and Spider-Man. May. I'm not making it up. That just it just seemed unusual. A Hellblazer and Spider-Man. This is this is actually uh, fascinating. June 
Hellblazer and Spider-Man. July, he did two issues of Avengers Academy. August, he did uh, Just Amazing Spider-Man, No uh, Hellblazer. September, Hellblazer, Amazing Spider-Man, two issues. October, Hellblazer, Amazing Spider-Man. November, Hellblazer. December, Hellblazer, and Amazing Spider-Man. He has been – this dude is a machine. Or he's a pseudonym. Or, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's eight guys that make up Giuseppe Camicoli. Now, in addition to all this, he's done issues of Fantastic Four and Avengers Academy throughout that. All right, I, I'm not gonna give him so much shit. I'm not gonna give him shit. I just don't. I, I thing is, I like. I don't. I don't mind. I don't want to say I like it, but I don't mind his art. But it, I just. I find myself every time I get an issue that he's drawn, I'm like, oh, he's still on it. Like I kind of, you know, I wanted to go back to um, McCone or Stegman. Yeah, well, Stegman. Yeah, here it is, the last issue, Kevin Coley. Yeah. I, I does it. Is it look like? Does it look like Hellblazer, or does he do a different Ron's style? I've never read a Hellblazer. You've never read. A I know, but you know what it looks. You know, like I. I literally have not seen an issue of Hellblazer in years. Well, is it is it like scratchy and sort of line based? Yeah. Like it's a little abstract in its shape. It's not photorealistic. Yeah, totally, totally. I would not think of that guy on Spider Man. When I think of Spider Man, I tend to think of a guy like, well, like Stegman or like uh, uh, Ramos or or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, wow, look at that, fascinating. So, Multiple Warheads number one by Brandon Graham. Did either of you pick this up or give it a shot? I read it. Yeah. Because I've read this in the past, uh, previous versions of it. Yeah. I think. But I couldn't remember what it was because I'll be honest, I get Brandon Graham and that other guy mixed up. No. Yeah, Brandon Walsh. Walsh, right? It's the hair. No, I know who you're thinking of. Uh, Stoko? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, totally understandable. Totally understandable. I know you're going to say a thing about it, but here's what I can tell you about this. I don't know what this is. I'm not sure what I read. I don't know if I want to read it forever, but I think I enjoyed this and I'm going to read more of it. Oh, yeah. Hells yeah. Yeah. You know, there was sex, so whatever. Like, if you like, if for everyone who's discovered Brandon Graham through Profit, but thought Profit was a little too abstract or weird or whatever, is, this is just as abstract or weird, but it's unfiltered Brandon Graham. These are his comics. This is, this is, you know, so if you haven't read King City or you haven't pr- read any of the previous stuff that's come out of this, it's just, it's out there and it's crazy, but it's done so uniquely and so well. And this was $3.99 for what, like 50 pages of story? It was a lot of pages. A lot of pages, no ad, nothing, like just straight from beginning to end, unfiltered Brandon Graham. 48 pages. What kept impressing me was that they were just all these asides, these sort of dribblings of imagination, and it was kind of formless in a good way. Like, you know, an editor would have been, like, if I had ever edited this book, I'd have ruined it. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting to see that sort of freestyle sort of comic book, I guess, is what it felt like. Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is, and it's just it's, it's it's unfiltered Brandon Graham, and it's great. So if you haven't like if you've been reading Profit, but you didn't check out King City or anything like, that, go pick this up. Four bucks, forty eight pages. You can't you, honestly, you can't go wrong. I can't tell you what the fuck happened. No idea. No, I, no, I, I totally can't. I don't know if there were flashbacks. I think there may have been flashbacks. Yeah, I, I don't. I, it's a, that's how good it is. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to bring up Revival really quick. I don't know if we've talked about it since the first issue or two. It's only on number four, but uh, this book's good. Book's great. I don't, and I don't mean it in a way like I'm like, this is amazing. You need to rush out and get it. Like, it's just good. It's really like creepy and understated and suspenseful. And I just, I like it. Yep. Uh, and it's not the kind of book that I normally like. And I, I don't know what it is. I like that it's very focused and small. It's a neat little world and story that they're building up. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that it's there. Yeah, 100% agreed. 100% agreed. I, every time it comes out, I'm like, ooh, I get excited. And, and it's not the kind of story I normally read. I'm not normally into, you know, like into yeah. it so well. And, and I think it's it's like 
And the funny thing is, is that I think, you know, Tim Seeley, we know him from Hackslash. He's doing Witchblade. You know, Mike Norton is doing a ton of stuff now, whatever. This might be the best thing the two of them are doing right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I definitely think so. It's, it's really good. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's surprisingly good, but I'm surprised how much I still, I still really like it. And now, if the question is, do you vote for, uh, you vote for one party or the other? Do you vote for President Captain Steve Rogers? And I'm going to vote for President Captain Steve Rogers. What if Ultimate 17 did not give me was more uh, presidential conflict. And I was almost upset that there's actually not an Ultimate Captain America book right now that I can read more of that in because I really, really want to. Yeah. Uh, this was a bit more fighting. I got to say this was actually a little disappointing because they brought in the um, Asgard-based threat that's responsible for all of this, which was just – I was like, um, So his I, name I, is really President Captain Steve Rogers? I'm fairly certain they did not refer to him as that in this issue, but I'm pretty sure that in 16 he was referred to as President Captain Steve Rogers. President Captain Steve Rogers. And, and, and exactly. I kind of don't want to check. <laughs> because I, I remember reading that, and, and I want that to be true. I think that's what we call him now for now. The ultimate, uh, ultimate Captain America is now well, president. Well, you know, you know, once you're president, you're always referred to as president. Right, and once you're captain, you're always referred to as captain. So right. even when he, when he abdicates office, he will always be president Captain Steve Rogers. So from like now that's on, that's not wrong. America, America. It's, yeah, President I'm gonna Steve look. At, I'm gonna look. America. Yeah, I'm gonna look in 16. But uh, 17 was was like I I really I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. I was surprised that when I got it, this is the first time I've ever been like. I think the thing I was most excited to read was Ultimates number 17. Wow, and that's never happened to me. This is a weird world. You're reading multiple warheads. You're liking the Ultimate Universe. What is going on? <laughs> you do what you can, man. Real quickly on these last two bit on the Flash number thirteen, nothing, the story is fine, art was fine, all stuff like that. The the title page, great. I, not only was it great, but it it literally I saw it. And there's the Flash laying down. The Rogues are around him. There's fire and everything. And I see proudly presents the in ice. And then I see on the ground the Flash. And it literally took me ten minutes to find DC Comics. Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even look for that. I know. <laughs> look at it. Like oh, there I think- it is. Paul's getting a little too uh, – going a little too far with these, I think, because it literally – because I saw him like, Proudly presents the Flash. OK, what – and then I thought, oh, did they forget to put DC Comics? And I thought maybe there was a lettering mistake whatever. And then I'm staring at the page for 10 minutes looking at every inch, and then finally I see in the smoke above the, above the gorilla DC Comics. I'm like, that's very subtle. <laughs> well, now that you see it, it's very obvious. Yeah, but it took me 10 no, minutes. I didn't, I didn't see it in the first time I saw it, so there you go. What do I know? And finally, I don't know what the hell's going on in the book. I don't know what the hell's going on on the covers of the books. But Todd McFarlane drawing Spawn number 224 with an homage to The Dark Knight Returns. I saw that one in the shop. Fucking like, huh. awesome. <laughs> he, for some reason, he's just drawing his favorite covers. as far- <laughs> What is Todd doing? I don't know. Just, it's nothing just, he does makes sense. And that's what, let him do it. Don't say anything. Uh, so I looked it up, and it looks like in 16, he twice referred to himself as President Captain Steve Rogers. <laughs> that is he amazing. He said, like, this is President Captain Steve Rogers. Oh, that's great. It uh, is great. But uh, no, but so with Spawn, I think as part of the 20th anniversary, he started off doing cover homages to other image books. So he did Savage Dragon, and he did The Walking Dead, and he did Youngblood. But now he's just doing comics he likes, and I, I think he's doing the he did he did the he did uh, Amazing Fantasy fifteen, and now he did Dark Knight Returns, and I believe the next one or one coming up is he's doing uh, homage to his own cover from The Incredible Hulk with the Wolverine claws. Nice, That's great. Like he's homaging himself. Can you do that? I, I, he just did. Someone in the shop asked me, they were like, does, does Todd have a, 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 like a, is there anything between him and Miller? Do they hate each other? And I was like, I don't think. 
Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't either. I just there, you know, there are feuds out there. But it's probably safe to assume, yes, just simply because everyone seems. Well, to this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. The next issue isn't the next issue isn't the Hulk one. It's the Watchmen. Yes. <laughs> oh. And instead, it's the one instead of the the happy face with the the splatter blood. It's the Spawn logo. <laughs> oh. it's, it doesn't feel okay. No. That's your brand of crazy, though, Ron. Oh, it's totally my kind of crazy. Bring it on, brother. More, more. Like, it's it's now becoming Ron's thing. Like, he wants to introduce Neil Adams to Todd McFarlane and just watch. Oh, I'm sure they know each other. I know, but you would just want to sit there and watch. Oh, yeah, no, I would just want to hang out with them. Yeah, yeah. Talk about the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the books of the week. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't okay. It wasn't a huge week for any of you guys. It was like an average week for me. I, I'm glad I didn't have pick of the week because I, I, there were, I didn't have a standout. I didn't have a thing like, this is the one. So those are so. books we wanted to talk about. If you wanted to talk about other books, you can go to fanboy.com slash comics where you can make your pull list. You can rate review books. You can comment on them. Also write reviews. Get them on the show when they're good. But before we get to reading some of those reviews from users, we're going to read the top five picks of the week as chosen by the audience. Again, you go to fanboy.com slash comics, make your pull list, and then you can pick a pick of the week. And number five was the official iFanboy pick of the week, Captain America, number 19 at 5.5% of the votes. This is all at time of recording. It could change when you listen. Number four was at Batman Incorporated, number four with 13% of the votes. That's a high number for number four. Number three was Journey to Mystery, number 645 with 14.4% of the votes. There's a great cover on that. Yeah. yeah. Number two was Multiple Warheads, number one with 16.8% of the votes. Awesome. And number one was FF23 with 26.8% of the votes. Nice spread this week. Before we get to the user reviews, what was your guys' picks? What would you have picked? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't pick anything. Yeah, I, I, I haven't. You just can't not pick anything. I do all the time. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a lot, it's a big decision, dude. <laughs> all right. Well, it's not my week. I just don't pick. <laughs> I, take a, I take a break, all right? It's <laughs> you I mean, picked for us. Our pick was Captain America 19, right? Right. We all, yeah, yeah, we, people, people will bring that up again later. Actually, honestly, gun in my head is probably cat, but I didn't pick it. So, gun, your, gun in your head. Yeah. My, yeah. my numbers are not me? in the choices here. Invincible. But I'm glad I didn't have to write it. All right. So, onto the user reviews. Our first review comes from uh, Walker Jody, who reviewed A Babies versus X Babies number one and gave the story a five out of, a five out of five and the art a five out of five. And at the time of recording, four point four percent of the view made this year pick of the week. And Walker Jody's review is very simple and just says this book is a scoop of kick-ass ice cream covered in awesome sauce. At only two ninety nine, how could you not pick up this amazing tale of Lil Stevie versus Lil Scotty? This book is oozing with cuteness, and I loved every second of it. Now, I've got two thoughts on this book. One was I thought it was A Babes versus X Babes, so I was very disappointed. Creep. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have someone write that for you? <laughs> no, I came with all my Bruce myself. Lynch. Uh, two. Um, Amazing how one issue of all the Avengers and X-Men drawn and written as babies could be more entertaining and enjoyable than the entire AVX crossover. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, clearly stated once again that Captain America was in the right and Cyclops was in the wrong, as shown in this series as well, this issue. Number two, I liked Gary Hero's art. Yeah. But I think, you know, if Scotty Young had drawn this as he did the cover, it would have been off the charts. Oh, yeah, That's totally. Cool. Yeah, probably would have been Pick of the Week, to be honest, if Scotty had drawn it. <laughs> True. I mean, there, there's just an artistry to his stuff that you just did not in anybody else's. I mean, just look at that cover. It, yeah. it would have given it a little more oomph, I think. Yeah. Yep. That, you know, was probably in his mind when he wrote the script, but, you know, it, it, it did not look bad. That's not what I'm saying. It came but off it a little more flat. Then, I think. Yeah, it was very flat. It was very animation flatty kind of. The, I thought it was really good though. I, mean, I, was, I, I enjoyed it. I had fun with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, this book it was a four star book as far as giant I was. Giant Galactus sucking on the moon was funny. 
Yeah. What was the, the the parents? You only see their their legs and feet, and they had those green socks. What was that a reference to? I it was familiar, and I couldn't remember it. Muppet Babies. Is it Muppet Babies? I guess. One hundred percent Muppet Babies. Okay. Again, Cyclops is wrong. I watched a lot of Muppet Babies back in the day. I did too. But sleep with an A. Set of Superman number thirteen. So someone's still reading Superman. Story is a four out of four out of five, and the arts a five out of five. The pick of the week is four percent, same nope. as A Babies versus X Babies. It's no, it was one point seven percent. All right, well that makes a lot more sense to me. Yep. I, f- <laughs> I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like Scott Lobdell got hit over the head and suddenly learned how to write Superman ellipses. After an enjoyable zero issue, I'm glad that Lobdell is finally writing the things I like about Superman. Between the longing for Lois over her Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Longing for That's Lewis. An old Louis. joke. Yeah, that, that is, is. An old Ricky Gervais joke. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> I believe that was L-E-W-I-S. Anyway, between the longing for Lois and uh, over her plans to move in with her boyfriend and a stern talking to to the staff of the Daily Planet about how the news industry is a shadow of its former self, combined with an enemy that actually poses a threat to Superman, the biggest complaint people have about him, and insane and awesome Silvery Age use of his powers, it feels like Lobdell is furiously striking a matchbook, hoping to relight the love that readers have for the big blue Boy Scout. This is the new creative team of Lobdell and Rocafor. Mm. I didn't get it because I'm not really a big fan of Lobdell's work, despite his strong first issues in the New 52 world. I think after that it became quickly old Lobdell from the 90s, which is not something I really want to read, but I kind of wanted to. Roquefort's great, but uh, I didn't pick it up. This is the issue where apparently he quit the Daily Planet to go be a blogger. I was just shocked that he uh, that somebody liked it. I, I thought Lobdell, I thought it was common knowledge that Lobdell was doing crap on everything, but... Oh. <laughs> right, so if you've got uh if you want to write a review about a comic, go to ifanboy.com slash comics and you can do your pull list. And you Burn can it make- down! You can rate your comics, and you can make your pick of the week, and you can write a review and get it on the show. Always a good, fun time. We're going to skip email this week because we got a bunch of voicemails over the past couple weeks, so we wanted to just dedicate the voicemail time. But uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. It's always good to hear from you. And our first voicemail comes from my old stomping grounds, Long Island, about a question about uh, creator-owned comics. How's it going, fellas? Sean from Long Island here. Quick question just about Marvel Icon. Um, I heard you say earlier about how Mark Miller kind of prefers Alan Moore to Marvel and they didn't make a dime from him off the Kick-Ass movie. Uh, and that's why you haven't seen a lot of Icon books coming out. Uh, they're going to Image instead. Now, Image has increasingly been uh, really holding their own in the market share, uh, more so than they have since the 90s. Uh, is there any reason that DC or Marvel doesn't see this trend uh, and adapt, maybe offer more creators, more creator-owned books? Is that happening? Am I not aware of this? What's going on? Or is it very possibly just not worth it to them? They're going to concentrate on the superheroes and leave everything else out. Love to hear what you think, guys. Keep up the good work. There's a lot of things to deal with in that voicemail. First, Image's market share is strong now for a non-Big Two publisher, but not like it was in the 90s. In the 90s, it was actually threatening Marvel and DC to overtake them. You're looking at it. 10% at this point, or 8%. Yeah, they, they, I mean, at some point in the 90s, they did overtake them. They were the number one publisher at one point in, before the crash, of course. But even during the even during the late 90s, even after the crash, they still held their own. They hover around it, 8, 8, 8, 9, 10% in a good month, you know, when, when Walking Dead 100 comes out. But they're not anywhere near they were market share-wise 20 years ago. They were, they were 3 or 4% for a few years, and they've definitely made they've up a lot of They've doubled their market there. share in the last year. And that's, yeah. that's clear. Their dedication to create, create their own books by big names has definitely paid off in terms of that. But they're not 
near as popular as they were in the 90s. Okay, so the other question as to why hasn't Marvel or DC taken notice to this, we probably have several different answers. Josh, you may take the floor first. Well, his first thing, he said it. He says not worth it to them. They're not going to spend the money developing and paying people to do things that they don't own and own 100%. That's just a pain in the ass for them. They own IP that they already own 100%, that they're vociferously protecting their ownership of all the time. And it hasn't worked out. You know, the, the big riches that come in from Kick-Ass or whatever, they don't go to them. They go to Mark Miller. So what's the point? It was a, it was a benefit program for creators they wanted to keep around. They went, oh, you do your books over here. We'll, we'll use our volume to help make the printing cheaper and maybe give you some of our editorial services. Uh, but I think overall that even wasn't worth it for them. No, and, uh, and yeah, and, and and my answer was exactly the same, Josh. Is that is that I think that they don't care because they're focusing on they're focusing on moving units on characters they own, and then you know building off of you know the IP off of that, whether it's video games and sneakers and movies and all this you know all, all the other crap that they can do with it. And you know what's funny is you say you know like people seem to be moving from icon to image. You're, yeah, they, damn straight they did because well, the, because they because after Kickass, Marvel woke up and go. Wait a minute! What are we doing? There's, there was, there's no benefit for them in it. Yeah, none. Yeah, uh, it, only in the terms of like the the exclusive wars. Basically, it was to keep those guys around, but just it, to make Bendis, it's, Bendis happy. That's really why. Yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah, and Miller. Like, it's not their business. Right. Like, their business isn't creator-owned comics. So why are they doing it? It doesn't make sense. Even DC with Vertigo, there's I think there's a reason why you're seeing guys whose books would have been at Vertigo now at Image. Because the deals are changing. To that point, though, I think I think I, we and we talked about this a lot. The deal changed at Vertigo a couple of years ago when Warner Brothers woke up about it, and just and every, and it, it always gets me when everyone talks about. It. Everyone equates Vertigo with creator owned, and there is no precedent to 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 explain that. There is a there is a certain amount of creator owned participation in, in Vertigo because they are creations of the creators that are there and all that stuff. But Warner Brothers definitely has a stake in those things. So if there is ever a Why the Last Man movie, it's not Brian K. Vaughan's decision as to whether that happens. It's Warner Brothers, and he's going to get a. He'll probably get a bigger chunk of it. Well, it really depends on his deal. So every, every deal is different, and sure. every, every the, the amount of amount of creator owned versus the amount of company owned is different for deal. At least before the change last last year or so. Right, but the point I was going to make is that answer this question two months ago, and I would say that you know across the board, it's clear Marvel doesn't care. Marvel doesn't give a shit at all. And I would say two months ago, DC doesn't care. But after New York Comic Con, and they announced a whole bunch of stuff at Vertigo, including new Jeff Lemire, new Scott Snyder, you know things like that, I think that DC's kind of woken up, but not in a way of, hey, people are going to Image and doing this great stuff, and say, hey, we need to hold on to our guys. Oh, it's it's Scott Snyder. keeps Scott Snyder in-house rather than having to do another Image book. Exactly. exactly They're doing an icon thing. They're doing basically. icon, yeah. It's not their business. It's just not their business. Even Wildstorm had – I said that like Chris Walken, but even Wildstorm was a, a bit of a creator-owned haven. But it wasn't creator-owned in the sense of, of image. Yeah. yeah, it's more that because they paid the upfront cost and that's the difference. I mean, you, the, could, the, you could make a living doing a book from Vertigo if you owned a piece of it because they were going to pay you upfront. At image, you don't get paid. You, you, do it at, you, get it, you get your money based on sales. And the thing is, is that, and we'll generally caveat this. And to Connor's point, every deal is different. Every yes. creator, every publisher deal is different. We don't know. We don't have insight into people's contracts, into people's deals, how it all works. But the only thing that we have on record that we know of is that the only publisher that is 100% creator-owned is Image. People go to Dark Horse, they go to Oni, all this stuff. All those com- IDW, all those companies do what Warner, what DC and Warner Brothers are doing, and have a stake in it because they also want to cultivate the movies and they want a piece of that business and all that sort of deal, yeah. which is fine. Which is a way 
way to do business, and that's a creator's choice. You know, because if you go to Image, you can have the best idea in the world, and you could do that first issue, and it can get a lot of buzz and get pick of the week, and then it gets optioned for a movie. And if you don't have a a good talent agent, if you don't have a good foreign licensing agent, if you don't have all these agents lined up, then you're going to bumble that property. Whereas if you take it to a company like Oni or Dark Horse, who has agents and people in Hollywood doing that thing, that's a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have to worry about. But you'll you won't make as much money in the long run because because other people will be pulling from your pocket basically possibly yeah it's interesting it's i i don't envy being a creator to be honest with you. what's really interesting though is that the long game of the whole thing is there's only a handful of properties that have really cashed in in a big way yeah you know from that like think of all the comic book movies and you know what were the most successful ones there's only a few that really felt you know like mark miller's or whatever you felt mean, like you mean like creator-owned properties yeah creator-owned properties that became a big deal everybody talked about vertigo as being this sort of haven you know, haven of, of IPs that that's why they were supporting it because of, but they've never made anything from them that, you know, they, they made a, a Constantine movie, but even right. that, you know, that didn't do well. It wasn't like there was a, there was a big pot of gold at the end of that one. Oh no, they have, they have not, I mean, there's no, I mean, the, the Wild Lights Man HBO series, a DMZ series, you know, like Preacher. Yeah. Oh wait, no, but Fables is on TV, right? Oh, here's the thing about that. <laughs> wasn't the Losers Vertigo? Yes. Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. But yep. but even that, I mean, that wasn't like didn't do that well. I like that movie a lot. I want to see that movie again. I don't. If you like it, you might not want to. No, I've seen it a few times since then. I, I own it on DVD. It's good. <laughs> Josh has different sensibilities than Connor and I. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's an action movie. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I liked the A Team a lot better. A Team was better. There's no. Not, I'm not saying that's not that. That's it, the case. It also failed. <laughs> well, anyway, we can talk about this for a while, but let's get to our next voicemail. Can we? Can we? Which is which, our next voicemail is a cautionary tale. Hi, this is Jim from Niagara Falls, and I have a question for the podcast. Um, crap, I just screwed that one up. I got nervous, so never mind. <laughs> he never called back. Jim, call back. We get that all the time. People call in, and they screw up, and they call in again, but Jim just gave up. Jim. Maybe he realized there was no point. Jim, call us back, please. We want to know what your question was. Well, it says it's Jim from Niagara Falls, so maybe he... Oh, no, 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 no. He call from a barrel? <laughs> oh, jeez. It's hard to concert in the barrel. That's what, what I'm saying. I mean, it's amazing that he even got a signal, and the sound quality was perfect. <laughs> so he, he had a gyroscope in the barrel. I assume it was barrel-based. <laughs> barrel, a barrel-based. Just, just keep in mind, Jim, we don't have a lot of knowledge on barrels. <laughs> We don't have a lot of barrel expertise here. So. Tell you what, even if you don't have a question, being from Niagara Falls, I bet you could learn us on some barrels. <laughs> so let, it, let us know about barrels. Coopering, yeah. smithing? No one else either. I'm not asking for a bunch of people to write in about barrels. I want to hear from Jim. <laughs> I, right. I swear to God, if I get an email about a barrel from anybody not named Jim, I'm deleting it. <laughs> All right. Our last voicemail has got a question about DC and Marvel's uh, jumping on points. Hey, I fanboy. This is Rick from Minot, North Dakota. I am Spartacus on the forums. Uh, just a quick question. With all the zero issues uh, coming out with DC recently and the point one issues that always seem to be coming out from all over the place, could you just explain what the premise of the zero issue and the point one issue is supposed to be so we can uh, have a little better uh, way of judging um, if... Uh, the creators have done a good job or not and what you're supposed to be getting out of the zero issues and the point one issues uh, as readers. Thanks. Bye. Now it's a valid question. Oh, why not? It's a half it's valid matter. question. It's a half yeah, valid. It doesn't matter what they're supposed to be. 
Like, like if you're going to have an expectation of something, go in and read it, but it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, so you're going to be upset about it. Like, it, the writers didn't even know what it was supposed to be for, for Zero. I mean, like, ostensibly, it was a retelling of Origins to get people on board. What are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be a sales generator. That's what they're supposed to be. Anything well, other than that well, is... The Zero Zero, by definition, are stories told before the first issue of the series, which right. is what they will all were, as far as I know. I didn't read them all. Or did I? I did read them all. Shit. But there were some of them that were like... Origin stories, or some were origin stories, some weren't, but they all took place before the first issue. That was the only only thing they were supposed to be. Was they never said, yeah, they never said that they would be origin stories. No, they're just zero issues. They are before the first. Yeah, is that a thing that people? Is that a thing that stopped people from buying them? I don't know. No, sales were were all bumped up on those big time. Right. Yeah, we look forward to that every September. They they were supposed to be, uh, you know, getting a free for one relaunch. Now, point one, on the other hand, is a clusterfuck. Yeah, disaster. Point one. The point one was supposed to be a good jumping on point that would, you know, like whatever. And it's just been another issue historically. It's, just, it's like an extra no, issue. It's, it's been random. Yeah. There's been another issue. There's been flashbacks. There's been jumping on points. I think that's the that's where the problems. And I agree with Josh fundamentally that it doesn't matter really. That Wolverine story about the cannibals yeah. in that point yeah. one issue that didn't have anything to do with anything was fantastic. Great story. It wasn't a jumping on point. It was, it didn't, no, no. It didn't accomplish yeah. what they said it would in the marketing. But ultimately, do I care? No, I really enjoyed the book. Right. The it seems to be sometimes it's a jumping on point. Sometimes it's a launching pad for new characters like they're doing with Spider-Man. The next one's going to be – it's going to basically be launching that Morbius series they're doing. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't one of the Spider-Man issues a Venom story? Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. launched Venom. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's how Spider-Man's used it. It's, 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 it's a mess, and I wish they would stop it. I just, I, I, I'm not coming after you, Rick. I just I, – like they're, they're annoying. Like I just want them to put the numbers out. The zeros, you know, those are a long tradition. They've been around for a while, but yeah, the point ones are just ugh. right. But ju- does that justify it? Because it's a long tradition. Just well, coming from you, bad. It's <laughs> a zero issue. They, you know. Just tell another story. Just tell another issue. Uh, whatever. Uh, I just people it, freak out now. If you go backwards, you have to yeah. constantly be moving forward. If they had gone back and told an origin, but not story, too far forward, and, and don't change anything. Right. Yeah. So if you if you did an origin story with issue thirteen instead of issue zero, people would freaked out because they didn't get the next chapter, so they had to go zeros. Just, just get rid of the numbers. I'm not so. I'm still trying to make one year later work in my head. All right. So, <laughs> you, you've got any questions? Call. Ron, do you remember it's that now. issue of Amazing Spider-Man where they did the whole issue took place over like three or four months? Yes. So now that book is four months ahead of every other book. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In your head. Exactly. It's, oh, it's, he remembers uh, that every time he opens up any other issue it's in Marvel. Ma- it's maddening. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, call us on the voicemail line at 188-FAMBOYS. It's 188-326-2697. If you can't get enough of our dumb voices, we've got other podcasts that you can listen to. Um, iFanboy Don't Miss uh, is a podcast where we talk to uh, creators about an upcoming issue, a uh, comic that you absolutely don't want to miss. And this week, tomorrow, on Monday, if you listen to Sunday night, but uh, this week's Don't Miss, Paul Montgomery uh, on the iFanboy staff talks to Josh Fialkov about Masters of the Universe. Skeletor number one, which might surprise you because it's got Fraser Irving on art. Who knew? Wow. So, uh, boy, that that He Man book is just a blowing up a cavalcade of talent. So, uh, go to ifanboy.com on Monday to listen to it, or go to iTunes and subscribe to the feed so you never miss. Uh, don't miss an episode. Of don't miss. License property money. Yeah. Make comics podcast. Yeah, it's not creator run. Make comics podcasts are the podcast that I do with Andy Schmidt of Comics Experience, former editor and current head founder of the, his. Instructional Comics Institution, where we will pick a topic uh, that has to do with making comics and uh, talk about it for a little while and, and hopefully give you some insight on, on how that works. We just did a bunch that I liked a lot. So the ones that will be coming up uh, in the next few weeks uh, I think are really good. We keep finding new things to talk about, so it's fun. This upcoming new comic book day is Halloween. 
So after you go to the comic store dressed as Sinestro, take a photo, email it into contact.ifanway.com, subject line costume. We're doing a costume roundup, which we've been doing for the last four or five years. You can find all the information on the deadlines, who to send it to, what to, write, what to say in your email. At the top of the page in the buzz bar, there's an article about it. So send your costume pictures in because the next end of the week, we're going to round them all up in a giant post, and it's always fun to see what everybody dresses up as. Bonus points if you're dressed up as a character doing something regular in normal life. <laughs> that is true. Like sitting among a bunch of normal people at Subway or... Leading a boardroom meeting. Constructing a barrel. Anything with a cell phone. Tech- Any- anything. Yeah. And, a, and a briefcase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mund- <laughs> mundane activities by people in costume. That's what we want. But it's okay. got to be you. Yeah. You can't just find them on the internet. Yeah, exactly. And you can find all that at ifanboy.com. That's the website where you can find everything. You can find my pick of the week review, uh, Josh's book of the month review, this podcast, every other podcast, the video show. Uh, we went to New York Comic Con. We've been talking to creators. And so you check out all the videos that are there. You can also subscribe to the videos in iTunes and on YouTube at youtube.com slash ifanboy. You can find it all at ifanboy.com anyway. That's our home. And if you like the social networks, you can go on twitter.com slash ifanboy and follow us or stay in touch on facebook.com slash ifanboy. You can email us at contact at ifanboy. Or you can send a voicemail, as many of you clearly did, to 888-FANBOYS, which is 326-2697, with any questions, comments, concerns, discussions, topics, etc. And seriously, if it doesn't work out the first time, you can just call back. Right. It doesn't, unless, there's the barrel caveat. But besides that, (laughs) I'm assuming at this point, what other reason could there be? You know, other than that, just just give it a shot. I love it when you get like three in a row. That That wasn't it. No, wait, hold on, let me do it again. And important to note, keep it brief. We had a couple of you all who came in, called in with some great thoughts, some great opinions. Three minutes is too long. We can't air that. That's bad. (laughs) Maybe he went over in the barrel and then had amnesia and he's just wandering the earth or Canada. Oh, my God. So he's maybe he's never going to know. To call back. He won't even hear this part and know about, you know, our barrel questions. He's probably like, why are these automatically downloading to my, what is this device? Finally, uh, you can leave a review on iTunes for our show, uh, for any show you listen to, any podcast, the Don't Miss Show, the Make Comics Show, any, any comics podcast, any other podcast, podcasts in general, all are helped out when you leave a review on iTunes, good or bad. Just give your thoughts. You don't have to write an essay, just a little, little, little couple of lines, what you think of the show, give it a star rating. We're Make sure to email us your bad reviews. I think that, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah. We got, I think last time I looked, around, we're at 850 reviews, something like that. Jeez. The push to a thousand. We should. We should just push to a thousand. We should get that number and do the thousand I, push. We'll I, I, regardless, I still want to rub it into Chris Neesman's face. I don't know why. <laughs> God, that was five years ago. Yeah. 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 We so had more than him then. Do that, and, and, and then thank you. <laughs> we don't even have a show anymore. But if you did, we'd still have more reviews. <laughs> All right. So until next week, I'm Ron. I'm Connor. I'm Joshua. Fancy. Yeah. I wonder, 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 wonder. Two. That was me. Li- oh, no, what? Josh. Never mind. That was it's Josh. A good question. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to need a couple of minutes. <laughs> ah. Okay. Three, two. You're listening it's to the iFanboy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I got to eat dinner with my family after this. Uh.
God. Mighty. <laughs> Three, two. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. 